now sitting at the wave table. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 21 of the wave table. This episode is featuring Will Hatton, also known as Hush Child. Um, would you be preferred to be called Hush Child or Will? Uh, just go with Will. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I actually found out about you through a friend of mine. Shout out to uh, Tanner King, old um, internet buddy from years ago. He actually lives in Canada. But um, he, he saw your stream on Reddit, and I believe that's how he first found out about you. So, um, yeah, do you want to just kind of give us your background uh, in, 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 in regards to music? <laughs> and um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a strange one because I think of late and most recently, a lot of folks um, like yourself, like your friend, are finding me through Reddit. Uh, which I know will probably will probably come to that whole story, mm. but my um my whole background was uh, kind of started through m music education in school. I was like a drummer. Uh, I started playing the drums from about age nine, and then by the time I was eleven, I knew that I wanted to be a session musician. So from working from about the age of sixteen when I went to college. Um, I was just bugging everybody to, you know, can I jump on a session? I'll do this this for free and, and, and you know, can I tech for different bands and things like that? Because I was like a metal kid through and through. It was like, <laughs> you know, like, well, I don't even know if we can consider it metal. We can get into that whole argument later, but oh, it was like yeah. a day to remember or nothing, you know? Like, <laughs> and um, <laughs> shut up, mom, you don't know me, you know, like all of that. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, like I was hitting up these different bands and one of my first paid gigs, um, was, uh, from a guy called Richard Brown and he was, uh, doing guest lectures and stuff at the college. And, uh, I started emailing him because I knew he was the musical director for the Lord of the Rings orchestra for Aww. the productions that were in London and New Zealand. Yeah. So not like the film, but like the stage show. Yeah. And, um, I was like, man, if you need a drama, like every week, like, oh, if I, you know, thanks for doing the chat, but if you need a drama, blah, 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 I had no charisma. So I was like diving straight in with like, <laughs> give me a job. And, um, yeah, he, uh, after months, he like hit me back and, uh, and said, uh, I've, you know, I've got a drummer, buddies off ill. Can you do this thing? And I, I, I like said, you know, I'll do, I think my words were like, I'll, I'll do, I'll do whatever the drummer, whatever your drummer can do, I'll do it better and I'll do it for free. And obviously only one of those things were true. I would do it for free. <laughs> but, uh, but, but that was my whole like MO at the time. I was like 16, 17 years old. And um, the, the whole idea was that um, I've said that now. So I have to deliver. And that's yeah. kind of stayed my, my uh, overarching theme throughout my professional career. So I played for that guy for about six months. And at the end of that, uh, I was finishing college and it was time to choose whether to go to university or uh, go into the working world. And I was like, cool, well, I've already got this job. I want to see where things go. So I did a lot more session work and it was for obviously just a huge plethora of startup bands and small artists and things like that but i did some pop um artists and productions um a lot for like the uk uh voice and x factor finalists because mm. obviously that was this is this is uh 20 
11 to 14 kind of time so it was like really popular at the time and um and then you know just some 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 sessions that were 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 great and and some sessions that were not so great and <laughs> then that led to me using i think the first i, I knew my way around logic from mm. a young age but um i was i was really only using that for like click markers and recording drums and right. all that kind of thing. Um, but that led me to have the SPD SX and that was my first bit of tech, I guess. And I was using that whilst, whilst drumming obviously for clicks and claps and all of those kind of, um, uh, sort of risers and swooshes and effects mm. and things like that. And then it was like, I really want more tech whilst right. I was playing drums. Yeah. So that led to, of course, the first thing being Ableton Live, right? And uh, I was using that whilst live. And then I got the, um, I think I got like a knock off push controller. Like it wasn't the push, but it was super similar. But like the buttons were like super clicky and it was horrible. <laughs> Don't even remember who it was made by. I found that on eBay. And um, yeah, and, and that became more of a setup when I was doing session work. So I would have like basically a broken down kit, but then loads of tech. And um Carried on with the session work and then got into production. And at about 18, 19 years of age, the, the college that I went to, they offered me a job and they just needed like a drum tutor or, or a, the, the, the session was called, uh, it was a two hour session called Session Styles and it was about becoming a session musician. So okay. it was like lots of drums, but a lot of talking about my career at the time. And I was like the youngest person at the college. <laughs> um, a lot of the students were older than me and on my first day at the college, um, I actually had to supervise like a trip. I can't remember where we went to, but we went to a venue, you know, and that some of the kids were like, or some of the guys there were like 20, 21, 22, you know, and there's me being like, sit down on the bus, please. Like, you know, I'm not going to tell you again. <laughs> Terrifying. But that was, um, my kind of first, uh, taster of the working world. I was straddling teaching and I was doing some session work and then that continued for about nine years so between the the age of like sort of 18 19 I carried on teaching at this college I carried on doing session work which led to you know better sessions uh, which I could bring into the teaching world and then I was producing a lot more and um, here in London in 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 uh, Brick Lane uh, a guy I knew was opening a studio with some buddies and he was like, let's all take a day each or a couple of days each. So I had a, a studio in Brick Lane for like two years. And that was really, uh, as I was getting older, sort of when I was sort of 17, 18, 19, I was really getting into hip hop, like just mm. learning loads about it and grime and the whole UK kind of hip hop scene, UK grime scene. Uh, and when I had this studio, when I was like 22, 23, um, that was a great um, opportunity for me to invite a lot of the local hip hop guys and girls in um, and really get a step in the door that way because my credentials, um, looking back on it, aren't great, I don't think now. But at the time, I was like, oh, cool, I've played with these you know, like competition show finalists and I'd done like a little bit of like TV spot work and things. And um, through that, uh, I was able to you know step away from i'd done these rock things and i'd done these orchestral yeah. jobs and step into production a little bit more so 
I was producing here for like a year and, you know, did stuff with, um, you know, like Ruti, who won The Voice, uh, Sharon Rose, who's like the lead actress in Hamilton now. And then a lot of my friends like Etta Bond and Lemzy and Latoya and and similar uh, folks. And uh, from there, I kind of knew perhaps this is it's not all about session musicianship and session drumming and lugging my drum kit here there and everywhere um i'd rather just have to take a laptop and just record somebody and Mm, maybe put some beats on it and that kind of thing so at that point it really separated and i started to do less and less um drum musicianship unless it was for my own shows or whatever um and i started to do more production and then i started approaching sort of 20 five 26 i'm 28 now and uh my students were like becoming more and more frictious of what i was teaching because obviously they could learn that stuff on youtube or whatever so in in the early days when i was doing the unit oh yeah so by this time i'm like course leading year one year two uh we call it music practice which is music performance and then music technology as well so when i first started it was like I'm a session musician. This is what I did. And this is what I can advise. By this point in the game, I'm like running a course. I'm kind of part of the scenery because I've been there so long and I'm teaching music production, mainly in Logic. And everybody's like torrent in FL Studio and they're using Ableton and everybody's using laptops. So it's not even our machines anymore. So I don't have any control over like the stock plugins that we're using or starting at this level they're like going home wow same as you and i do now you know like youtube and whatever we don't know listening to podcasts and cracking software and all this kind of thing and just learning at their own pace so i had this huge diversity in the classroom of people being like yeah but flume does this and somebody else being like i don't care about flume but on the new kanye album he samples this do i have to be worried about copyright you know and it was tough because I had this like scheme of work where I was like, we're going to start at this point and we're going to use ultra beat or we're going to use a drum sequencer. And then I'm going to show you how to, you know, uh, record drums live, you know, with, with the MPD or something. And people were like, we already know that, like, you know, show us granular synthesis. But then there were some people that were like, I've only ever used garage band. Like, how do I get through this? Yeah. So I realized then I'm passionate about music education, but it's not about, the classroom anymore yeah so carry on doing production work session work kinds of kind of stops and then in the last couple of years like leading up to this point um that's when i kind of took a little bit more interest in youtube and a little more interest in streaming even though i hadn't started doing any online lessons any streams or anything but i did start doing production lessons across zoom uh just one-to-one like track feedback and lessons for younger and older cats about like you know how to resample and how to mix your track and you know like processing chains and things like that and then that led to where we're at now in like march when the pandemic oh so side note by the way i know we don't know each other that well just yet you're going to have to reel me in i go on so many tangents (laughs) where i'm just like oh i forgot what i was saying and we went down this route but yeah long story even longer uh every year at the college i was like this is my last year and i used to tell all the (laughs) colleagues like this is my last year and everybody was like sure and uh, because of course everybody or at least at my college everybody was also touring musicians also producers and stuff so they were like okay mate yeah sure no worries (laughs) and um it was approaching this year uh the summer holiday 
And after the summer holiday in September, or, you know, right now, it would have been my 10th year. Mm. And everybody was like, dude, you can't be in there like 10 years. It was cool when I was like 18 to be like, I'm a really young teacher and I'm doing this shit alongside. Yeah. Um, but can I um, maintain that when I'm like 28, 29 and the students are like, well, what else you done? And I'm like, well, I was here for 10 years, so, but ignore that, you know. So I really had to do something. And March came about. I got an email saying as of tomorrow, like lockdown. Um everybody go home and I was like okay so I have to I had to give a three months notice at college so I gave a three months notice um I think it was like yeah I think it was March March time end of March yeah. so that was three months and I knew that at the end of that three months it would mark the summer holiday as well so I had this huge array of time where um, I would be able to, or maybe it was at the beginning of the summer. So I knew that like, I was going to basically be, be paid for whilst I should be there, but I knew we'd be in lockdown right. and then it would be the summer holiday and I'd get that, that money as well. And so like, um, yeah, August the 14th was my like official last day. And then I had to do like a little sign off thing a couple of months ago. Um, but as of then, I was like completely freelance. And then that just led to this huge like panic station of <laughs> what, like, I was so you from like a baby, from a kid being like every month money comes through and it's a stressful job. But like yeah. at the end of the day, you know, and I got to move out at a young age and blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly I'm like, oh no. I'm trying the freelance bit when most people live, you know, in their parents' basement or whatever, and they've got nothing to lose. And I've got like a place to live and, you know, I live with my girl and I've got all this stuff to pay for and I'm literally starting at point zero. So that's where YouTube streaming and all of that kind of thing took off yeah. literally uh, like August of this year. And I started taking note of like what, people were listening to on my Spotify and what content people liked on my YouTube and things like that. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. I'm a, I'm a producer, obviously because of the pandemic, I'm not really doing any session work, uh, but I, I kind of dabble in all musical things. I know a lot of people know me for lo-fi, um, yeah. but like I'm a huge hip hop kid, huge bass music kid. Um, still like a little bit of rock but not too much these days <laughs> and and yeah just like an all-round musical nerd whether it comes to mixing and mastering or mm. it comes to composition for film and tv and 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 then just making making beats for like artists and stuff i'm just kind of an all-round uh audio guy yeah i guess which Look which is terrible to say in this <laughs> kind of in our industry because in any other industry people would be like so you're a jack of all trades and you're like oh it sounds like a terrible thing but in a mu in a musical sense it's kind of an exciting place to be because i don't ever want to make one thing and it becomes super dry you know yeah so yeah so that's that's me that was such a long story i'm so sorry <laughs> try and make okay. the other questions more <laughs> succinct uh so I'd like to jump on the uh, freelance thing. I saw on your website that you've uh, done audio, like composition and mixing for trailers and perhaps some short films or something. Um, I wanted to ask, has that mostly been during COVID hit and since you stopped working at the the college or did you do a bit of that beforehand? Uh, most of the stuff that I've worked on post leaving the college 
uh, I don't think has come out yet or won't ever do anything. I'm, I'm sure you're like familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's been many, many years since I've got excited about a release. You know, like I released something the other day mentioning no names and the, the artist I released it with was like super young and was like, I think this is going to go viral. And I was like, I'm sure it won't, <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the short films, the trailer stuff, that was all before. Um, so maybe like a year or so ago. Um, and that's like a huge, I'm hugely excited about that. And I really want that to be maybe a stepping stone, uh, maybe into like game sound design, that mm, kind of thing. That'd be great. And, and, vr technology as well which we can kind of get to like that's my kind of biggest passion project is the whole like vr world yeah i'm really interested in vr like just the fact that you can really create an audio world where you turn around and there's different sounds to what you had in the mm. the previous way you were facing i think there's so many possibilities for immersive experiences with that you know like right now it's just like these documentaries just telling you how awesome VR is because, oh, mm -hmm. look, you can look around or like all the way around. But like, just imagine all the like trippy or like uh, the, even the learning applications of VR are insane. Um, I think this is like where I had a conversation about this um, with, uh, with my girlfriend yesterday and uh, there, was, there was absolutely no drugs involved, but it sounds like a complete like stoner, esque yeah. conversation but but follow me on this but like i'm so passionate about this subject because for she basically the start of the conversation she was asking why um even without lyrical content is certain music so emotional and i was kind of delving back into the fact that you know um if we go way 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 back um to like sort of the renaissance period and things like that you had like the devil's key and the devil's notes right. and things like that so there was obviously like an emotional uh connection between uh frequency right that if you played i don't know like a, a g minor chord or something that was much sadder than a c major chord depending on where it was at and obviously there's like the whole myth around the the brown note and the, the the frequencies below you know sort of like 20 30 hertz you know gave you that kind of rumbling feeling but you couldn't hear it and all this kind of thing so it was just the frequencies reacting with you differently and i was saying now think about my midi keyboard i've got only two octaves in front of me so i can only really play like triads and a bass but spread that out on a grand piano i'm able to play such a broader expanse of frequencies and that's going to resonate with you differently and then you know you apply that to a song you can see why um something like i don't know like limp biscuits break stuff you know really resonates pe with people because <laughs> or at the time because the key that it's in the frequency that it's spanning but then this dude's also screaming about like have you ever been so pissed off you just want to fucking rip everything up you know and <laughs> There's angsty kids like I was being like, yeah, you know, whispering <laughs> in my room. But like um, the 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 whole VR thing is so interesting to me because we we led the conversation to like how music can transport you somewhere. So you can be like, oh my god, I listened to this song and I could actually smell my mum's cooking from when I was, you know, she used to play this song every Sunday or whatever. Yeah. And then the fact that. Um, when uh correct me if i'm wrong because i might have the wrong uh disease but i think it's like um 
Alzheimer's or dementia, uh, when when certain folks um, are played, you know, maybe a piece of music from their younger years or whatever, that just taps into a part of the brain and suddenly they don't have dementia anymore and they right. remember everybody and they can, you know, speak properly and all that kind of thing, turn the music off and it's back to how they were. That That's amazing that it can tap into that part of the brain. So that's what led me to the VR conversation we had yesterday and my cousin, shout out Daniel Hatton, he's worked in VR for a, for a long time and we're sort of going back and forwards on a passion project of like kind of a VR Ooh. horror film, <laughs> oh, VR yes. horror film slash horror game, right? And I'm mad excited about it because suddenly I'm learning as if I was a kid again, so much about musical mixing, but in the 360 environment. Yeah, it's no longer like, okay, so my bases or pads are sitting nicely here and my kick drums in the middle Well, like how do i make sure that this music behind a door over this side sounds like it's in my right pan yeah but can be audible sounds muffled when i turn this way it's still muffled but it's got more of a binaural or stereo field and then when i open that door it's fully impactful and i can move around i can get closer to the drums all this kind of thing now if you did that in vr tech and were able to convincingly portray everything with the right images, but you could make everything sound exactly right. And, and, you know, you had the right band of frequencies, you had the right mix in it all sounded good. It wasn't too jarring. You have now just time traveled. Like that person isn't yeah. only going to be like, Oh my God, I remember, you know, the smell of my mum's cooking and this, that, and the other. And we used to do this when I was kids, but if you could recreate something from somebody's memory, and then recreate all the bird sound, all the ambient sounds, the creaking of the floor of the person that lives above you. Like you're there. And then that gets into the world of like, you know, people that live in, I don't know, World of Warcraft or people that live in Second Life and things like that. People are going to live in your VR community yeah. that you've built because it's a happier time or, or a better place than the place that they are currently living in the real life. And that's like really trippy to me. Um <laughs> So yeah, that's like a huge like kind of passion project that I'm I have no idea how to um, access or traverse, but it's something that I like kind of want to get involved with in the next sort of like five to ten years, and I think is going to be in some aspects like just a regular part of our everyday yeah. lives, you know? Yeah, I mean, I know some people that have been saying it for a long time, like the people who get in with VR now are going to be like pioneers of like a new generation of content. But yeah. like low key, I'm honestly kind of concerned because think of all the hours people have put into World of Warcraft, but now right. it's even more immersive. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm really concerned for the people's I think, I think like, you know, like, are we, are, are we allowed like to, is there, is there anything that we can't talk about on this podcast? Probably just don't say like bigotry offensive of course, of course. yeah yeah <laughs> well like i think like uh you know you can start doing this if i'm going a bit too far this way but i think you have to like measure trends with the porn industry right so like the internet came about and was a thing and then or like, like even vhs right vhs tapes came about when people started selling porn that's the thing that i think it was like vhs versus betamax or something like that or it might have been an uh, an unheard of company and vhs went like that because they had like porn mm. and then it's like 
with the internet, same thing. The internet and Google blew up because you could index porn and find it. And it's like, as soon as VR came about, I think people were like, this is cool. Somebody made porn yep. in VR. And then you saw like Google Cardboard just bringing out like, <laughs> here's a really cheap... Because imagine being a husband and being like, oh, honey, I've just bought an Oculus Rift. What's that? Oh, it's VR. Why do you want that? It's like 300 quid and the husband can't talk about it. It's like awkward. But if you just get like Google Cardboard and you're like, it costs like $5 or it costs like four quid. And they're like, oh, okay, it's a bit of a gimmick. But then like wifey goes to bed. And you're just like, oh, this is great. You know, I think you have to measure everything with the porn industry. So when I when I was like saw that porn was blowing up on VR, I was like, oh, this is here to stay. Yeah. Like people are going to start innovating. Do you know what For I mean? For sure. But that's, sure. that's my little crass. We can go back to music technology now. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just a matter of time. And I think it's going to be much sooner than people think. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. I think that just with the rate technology advances, it's just going to get there so quick, I think. I think it just needs to stop being, you know how like, what would be a good example? Like, I don't know, the, the I guess the supercomputer, right? Mm. Or dial up internet or something like that. Like that was such a far fetched idea. And then it was such a expensive idea. Like some people had it or the mobile yeah. phone, you know, like some businessman had this huge like aerial block telephone and you were like, oh, that person has loads of money and they're important. But then it just became like, the landline and then people have mobile phones and then they had phones in their cars and stuff like that exactly and i think vr's at that point where it's like an expensive gimmick right now yeah but you know if the next generation ps5 the next xbox or you know the the next uh you know even like you know compute like gaming computers and stuff like that really embrace that technology and they're like listen half or more than half of our games are in vr people are going to be like okay and then once it's in everybody's home it's like okay no holes barred like this is going to be really exciting i think yeah. could be like this could be like our downfall and people will look <laughs> back on this and they'll be like do you remember when hush and astro were just talking about vr and they were so wrong just stayed around <laughs> for about a year nobody ever spoke about it again no nah, who knows no nah. VR is definitely at that point. Like, do you remember when flat screen TVs first came out? Like, yep. they were so cool because like they were massive, right? But at the same time, you could see each individual pixel and it just yes. looks like crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I feel like that's kind of where VR's at now. Give it a few more years and that, you know, it'll be in 100%. everyone's home just like yeah, flat yeah, yeah. screen TVs. And like, I think people need to... Imp- there's a period where people like fight the change and then embrace the change. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when, it, yeah. if we're talking about TVs, like they were the big box televisions and <laughs> Apple computers were the same with just the different colored backs. Like that's how, that's how they were trying to get into people's home. They were like, this is massive, but also you can have a pink see-through back or you can have a, yeah, like, and people were like, cool, man. But then it was like flat screen tele or they, or, I don't even know if they were flat screen. They were still like chunky. Oh yeah. And then Samsung br- brung out like ultra thin and things like that. And it's like, I think the it was only last year, the year before, when I was looking at buying a new TV and I found about OLED and I was like, what was wrong with LED? I thought we were cool. And they were like, no, OLED's like super black. The blacks are much blacker. And I was like, all right, I guess we're doing that. It's fine. You know, that's how the VR community needs to em- embrace that change. They're just like, no, no, no this, this is what we're doing now. And get the people that aren't too sure on board. They're like, I guess this is what we're doing now. And then it's a thing. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, man, I don't even want darker blacks. Like, I already can't see shit in those horror games and stuff. 100%, 100%. <laughs> I'm just like, you know when the little emblems come up and they're like, make sure that the fox is only barely visible. I'm like, no, that fox is white. And yeah. I just drag the, the thing all the way up. I'm like, as limited jump scares as possible, exactly. please. Like, I want to see what's in the corner before I get there. Oh, man. Okay, so let's jump back to how you uh, got going as a musician. So, yeah. I noticed something interesting when you first started uh, uh, talking about your story. And you said that at age 11, I believe, you wanted to become a session musician. Mm. Now, I think most people who want to be musicians at age 11, they're like, I want to be a rock star. I want to be a singer, mm. singer, guitarist, like frontman of a band. Like, what made you want to be a session musician as opposed to like the frontman? Dude, this is, compared to my all my other answers, this is so concise and short, so I apologise. But basically I had a music teacher uh, who became like my mentor until like my early 20s. And he told me, so yeah, I was in, I was in year seven. I just started school in the UK. And uh, he, was, he was a session musician. He played brass. And yeah, I think like day one, been playing drums for two years and I was like I'm gonna be a drummer and then he was like no <laughs> and I was like what well you know like world shattering information <laughs> he just said no and I was like what do you mean and he was like you know the the chances of doing that are less than the lottery or whatever you know mm. it was like quite a harsh dude um but a realistic dude and he was like become a session musician and um I said why is that and he literally just said um less uh less time on less time on tour double the money and i was like ace you know and he explained <laughs> to me that how like if i was filling in for a drummer who was sick i might have a stressful period of having to learn that song right. a day or a week before but i'm gonna get paid like double what the band are playing paying uh or being paid sorry because i'm literally playing for that day or a couple of days or week until their drummer comes back and they're like really in a bind so that became a really realistic way of creating an income in my mind from a young age being paid more and being able to play you know at that age you're fantasizing so being able to play with a bunch of bands that I liked. And then as I got older, it became less about the kind of, I don't know, fame of playing with bands or interest of playing with bands. But it was the fact that when I was in my own band, I was so bored of playing the same <laughs> five to seven songs yeah. um, that I just wanted to play everything. So that's where my kind of love of um, diversity came from. And the fact that I wanted to play hip hop and metal and electronic music and whatever. And yeah, that was, that was kind of the story. It's awesome. I really respect people who have like that hustle from a young age. Like mm. it, it might not necessarily seem like hustle to some, but to me it is to just like s flip that switch in your brain mm -hmm. and go like, I want to have stability rather than like just being popular or whatever. Mm -hmm. I really respect did you, that. Um, like apologies if you've spoke about this on the podcast before, uh, but like, did you have us, did you, know at a young age it was music and did you know it was music production or was it different um so yeah i at a young age i was pretty much like it's gonna be music uh like things happened along the way that kind of took me away from that but mm -hmm. uh yeah originally i was like okay 
want to be a singer. No, nah, I'm too shy to sing, so I'm going to play guitar. <laughs> and yeah, then, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, after like a few years of playing guitar, I eventually started. <laughs> the story of how I started with music production actually is because I needed to find a metronome on my computer. Right. Uh, I downloaded FL Studio and then uh, eventually I heard Skrillex and I was like, okay, how do I recreate this? Oh, I've already got FL Studio. Let's watch some tutorials and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was like a huge breakout point for at least the kids that were into even metal or like they were in bands or whatever, because yeah. we, we had this, I wasn't a huge uh, Skrillex fan after, but I remember that, that, um, that like breakout EP that was like, oh my goodness, like he, he's like one of us, like he's, he's like way into metal and you could hear that in the music. And then I remember yeah. hearing like, um, Bring Me The Horizons album that was like, had loads of Skrillex remixes and people that yeah. sounded like Skrillex on that remix album. And I was like, oh, this is like my world's colliding. <laughs> and that was kind of my whole thing as a kid of being like inspired by, um, you know, Linkin Park and Slipknot and things like that, where they had like a DJ or a rapper in amongst the music. And I was like, this is so cool. Why isn't everybody like fusing genres? This is awesome. Mm. So yeah, we kind of had a similar, it went from classical musicianship from like, you know, traditional instruments to that needs must kind of thing where we need, just needed a metronome or a place to record. And then yeah. it was like, oh, you can do other stuff in here. This is really cool. <laughs> the, uh, Though, come to think of it, though, maybe I was always destined for, like, electronic music because whenever I saw uh, the Linkin Park DJ, I just always kind of loved the mystery behind it. Like, he's only there with, like, uh, I don't know what it was back in the day, but pretty much a launch pad. Um, yeah. He's just pressing buttons, but there's, like, all these different sounds that he was making. Like, it was so cool. I always thought it was cool that he was, like, the... Uh I don't know. I don't even know if this is fact, but I remember being at school and speaking about him with my friends and the fact that he was like the director for the music videos and stuff like that. Oh. I remember at that age being like, oh, so he's like scratching, he's doing maybe sampling and things like that, but he's also like the kind of visionary amongst the band. And I always thought that was a totally behind the scenes, you know, at that age, I didn't know the Steven Spielbergs and things of movies. Yeah. So it was like, oh, okay. I didn't even know directors could be amongst the fray. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I thought that was sick. Yeah. Yeah. No, one of the guys, um, if anyone knows 10 graphs, he's like a, he's a film scorer, uh, does Foley music producer and he writes like, uh, cinematography. So just shows like anyone can fucking do it anything yeah. and just combine it to make their perfect like own little world well i think that's like the thing that a lot of musicians but i think just anybody in the current climate of creativity whether it be animation yeah. video film and obviously music is just like you i don't think you could get by i used to say this to my students all the time you used to just be able to be an amazing pianist or an, an amazing vocalist or, you know, you can take that to an art or whatever, but it, but it, now you have to be able to be that jack of all trades. It's like, yeah. okay, so my vocals are wicked, but I need to be able to stack those vocals, comp them, mix them, and then send them out. You know, even if it's just like having somebody else master it and knowing that you probably did, probably need, 
your vocals at that minus five level so that when it gets mastered, it's up to that zero point and things like that. I think people are accepting that they need to be able to do other things. Yeah. And then through that acceptance, they're finding like, oh, I actually have a huge interest in other things as well. And I can divide up my week amongst, like you say, Foley, sound design, scoring, composition, whatever, you know? Yeah, I uh, totally agree. Because like sometimes I think about guitar and like how much I wish I'd kept practicing throughout the years. Because once it started with electronic music, it was like, see a guitar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, like every now and then I think like, man, maybe it'd be cool to be in a metal band like like I wanted to in the past. Mm. But then I remember like being good at guitar is now just a given if you want to be mm. in a metal band. Like, you know, I feel like back in the day, a lot of bands would start out and then they would kind of practice and come up together like yeah. get better together. Whereas now it's just like, okay, you want to be in my ma- my band, you need to play guitar for like 10 years first. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I feel similarly when I'm producing, like it's so, I've got like a really rare, expensive drum kit and it sits outside of the apartment that I live uh, in, in this like little lock up shed thing outside. And um, I like obviously like get the kit out, transport it. I can't record drums here. So transport it to the studio, set it up, blah, blah, blah. It's obviously so much more convenient for me to just sample drums, just yeah. go and splice and go, okay, right. You know, like, and then you go down the list and you're like, Travis Barker has a sample pack out. Like I'm going to use that over my own drums. They sound amazing. So then it becomes almost like this guilty burden of being like you know like if i run into people from back in the day and they're like do you still play drums and i'm like yeah yeah yeah. and they're like oh i heard this track is that you playing i'm like oh no (laughs) my drums aren't on any of my music do you know what i mean it's just too convenient yeah what about like a uh electronic drum kit i'm not like a drummer so i don't know how bad that would feel compared to acoustic i've played um the benefit of the electronic drum kit even though i haven't put it on any of my music because I'm just firstly so geared towards convenience and like getting right. a track out as quick as possible or getting yeah. it finished as quick as possible. But I'm also quite perfectionist in the sense of like how much I want it to swing. So I might put it on a swung sequence pattern for the hi-hat or something, but then I'll like kind of adjust it a little bit. But the, th- the benefit that I found was when I was doing uh, some session work from for a composer and he needed to uh notate some stuff in logic or from logic sorry uh but wasn't a drum didn't write for drums so i like drum the piece out on the electronic drum kit and of course he just quantized and then converted that midi to notation and i was like oh that's really intelligent and quick way to do it um you know which is kind of where i guess the the guitarists and things like, or, or correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know about that world too much, but I don't assume that there's a way that you can, there's no MIDI, MIDI to notation like guitar, right? Uh, I believe it's there is, but I oh, think really? like, I think once you start bending, it gets pretty wacky. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Cause it would have to be like a kind of that seaboard esque kind of guitar. Yeah. Um, I would assume, but yeah, like, so that was like a really cool benefit where I was like, that's quite a, you know, unique twist on just getting the job done, you know, and having a humanistic feel and you can change the sounds later if you don't like the 808s or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's really good to have those things around just in case you need them Mm. for 
some niche application like that. Uh, so we touched on Reddit earlier, and I want to ask you another question about that. Um, sure. So yeah, you said that some people have been discovering you through Reddit lately, but in my opinion, I don't think many people go to Reddit purely to discover music. So like, yeah, w- what are the kinds of uh, backgrounds of the people that you are being di- are discovering you on Reddit? Have you delved into like where they're coming from? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think my whole, uh, I did a, a radio show yesterday in the UK and we, we spoke similarly. I don't know if similarly is a wor- word. Si- <laughs> Just roll with it. I don't know. <laughs> Just roll with it. So we spoke similarly about it and um, we, you know, my whole thing has been innovation when i started first doing live performances it was just like me and my drums and i used to dj alongside Hmm. because i knew nobody wanted to come and just see me play breakbeats you know just on the stage (laughs) no music even as a drummer i don't want to see that so i was like what can i do so i used to make these dj mixes um and just like flip and remix songs that people knew and blend them and then i could play for 25 minutes on stage and then to get more people involved i hooked up with some friends um and we we did like uh or they did for me uh animation and visuals Ooh. so everything was through maxim sp like going through that and then being triggered by the drums the kick or whatever and there was just all these different kind of wacky visuals That's going sick. on and like yeah i loved it man and and that led to uh the path like i don't know if you're like super up on the kind of turntablism scene but Not like at all. people like <laughs> people there's like um people that are really pushing the boundaries with the stuff they're doing like shield and and john first and things like that where um we ended up like supporting them and it was Sick. like this is a whole like drum and bass scratch scene but i was like supporting them and it was nothing to do with decks i didn't have a set of decks on the stage um and through that it was like cool i really like innovating because it is fun because I like to learn and it really diversifies yourself because people can't find anything else like that in their area perhaps. So then they come to your shows and they travel further afield. So to get to Reddit, I was looking at a long time ago, Twitch, when it was still like mm. a gaming platform. And I said to my friend, um, shout out Enzi, he's a member of my Discord. And um, he was like, uh, Twitch is purely a gaming platform, but if if somebody starts twisting it and makes it a sports platform or a music platform, that's going to be huge. And we spent uh, a little bit of time researching it, and then you just get waylaid and you get lazy and didn't do anything with it. And then, of course, like now you've got huge streams like the Bauer stream and Kenny Beats Beat Battle and things yeah. like that. And um, then we, you know, obviously before that kind of kicked off, it was uh, people were starting to use Discord more. And they had these like almost lo-fi live or lo-fi radio kind of rooms where you could hang out and chat and whatever. And we spent a long time uh, creating uh, like a chat room with bots in there that would play music and it would be more like a DJ set. And it was like in the really early days of Discord and like we were kind of just learning about like minimal, I'm not a coder, I don't know anything, but just like copy and pasting other codes that I found around the internet and seeing what I could make work. And Obviously, again, missed the boat on that one. You get waylaid and other projects come up. But it was when uh, Pan on Reddit started becoming a thing. And uh, 
me and my missus would, would just like lay in bed and just go, like go through it. And it was a real quick thing to do before bed. And there was just the most bizarre people on Reddit. And it was like, you know, you, you, you know how it goes, but somebody holding a phone facing away from them and they were walking through Korea or they were walking yeah. through, you know, wherever and just chatting to the comments. And there was like five people in the comments and some dude chatting and we're scrolling and scrolling. We used to do it all the time. And it was really weird. It, it, it gave me the same sensation of, um, oh my goodness, I forget what the, uh, the website was, but like a kind of, there was an early days like Omegle where it would randomly send you to somebody who who else had a webcam and you would chat and it gave me the similar a similar vibe where i was like who are these just random people that have found this platform and, and were like i'm gonna stream my walk to work and then it became like people put in titles and it was like plumber here uh on the job like ask me <laughs> questions about plumbing and and it was so interesting we were staying there for like 20 minutes you know not, not a long long time but reading the comments and people weren't there weren't trolls really. People were really interested in this person's content and they were Joe public. Yeah. And then I came across like a stream and someone was doing something. I can't remember if it was musical. It must have been musical because it was on Reddit sessions, but they had thousands of people, like 4,000 people in their stream. And I was like, oh, okay. I got to like improve upon this and do it quickly <laughs> yeah. so the first stream is still on my reddit and the first stream i ever did um i put my tv like it was in the corner of the room and i pulled it right up against my midi keyboard and then basically what i was trying to do is like replicate the lo-fi girl right so i was right. like a background to the side of me that was moving and i think i put like a studio ghibli movie on and then i was just like playing beats over like splice loops and I think like something like four to five to 6,000 people across the hour that I was there, like joined. And I was like, okay. And I, I figured that the first thing that I'd probably done is like improved upon the sound because everybody was using mobile audio and you could only stream via, via your phone. But my audio sourcing was like OBS with something. Mm. Oh, with the TRS adapter into the ah, other, into the old school iPhone. That's smart. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. So the audio is like sorted, um, but the video sucked. So yeah. then I was like, how do I change up the video world? The, the resolution is like 16 by nine. And I'd seen somebody that was literally doing, and like, I don't, I'm not putting this guy down or whatever. I know it will sound like that, but it was to me a really dry stream where he was receiving questions from people in the stream there was like four or five people there and he was searching wikipedia and you could see his face and you could see wikipedia <laughs> and i was like this is so redundant because these people could ask a question to google and find the yeah. wikipedia article but it, there was some kind of interest about watching him do it i messaged him and i was like how did you have your face and wikipedia and have it as like a phone rather than like stretched and he was like oh the resolution 16 by 9 and you do this and you know it's easier if you use obs than uh stream labs obs and things like that so started looking into that made a template made a graphic and i was like i don't want to have my face on it which i'm obviously doing now but in the early days i like didn't want my face let's right. just play lo-fi beats and like find whatever's the most popular thing and people were like loving 
the 4K tours around Japan. Yeah. So I was like, 4K tour on the top half, lo-fi beats on the bottom half, everybody could chat. And the best thing about it was not that people, some people were enjoying it, but the best thing about it was it was people were arguing whether it was live and the way that the Reddit algorithm works separate to Twitch, separate to anything, Instagram, whatever, is your Instagram algorithm is based on likes and interactions and all that kind of thing. And we'll put you on the front page, but it's also like time spent on that platform and follower base and yeah. your other posts on Reddit. It's just whatever's growing at the time and right. has the interactions in that first hour or two that will promote it to the front page of Reddit. So loads of people were arguing about, um, is the bottom half live is the, which was me playing was the bottom half live was the bottom half um miming which seemed outlandish to me because i was like it'd be so much harder to mime me yeah. like pressing buttons on the launch pad and fading stuff in but whatever and i didn't have a mic so i couldn't chat and then was the top half live and i was like why would somebody be like walking around in 4k resolution like super hyper smooth you know visuals and um and and like why would why would they if that bit was live why would they have me as the bottom half like just playing music they would have something better and so that boosted it to the front page because so many people were speaking at once and that was the first time i gave it a proper effort Hundred and fifty thousand, and i was like okay this Jesus. Is <laughs> yeah so then i was like next next one uh, I just created a border for the video and I had a microphone, but you couldn't see my face still. And I just chose a different video and made sure I got permission this time from the video owner and said, right. like, I want to stream this on Reddit. It's super new. Uh, and then I was just like, I don't think anything's going to happen, but can I use your video knowing that there, it had potential? And um, yeah, same, same again. It was like 200,000 views. And I was like, okay, this is sick. So it became a regular thing for like, probably like four to five months. And at this point, Pan was about six months into being what it is. Um, and I tried some different things. I tried ones that were like distant socializing when the pandemic came about and it was like just chatting. And I tried the masterclass ones and they weren't as popular. Uh, but what it allowed me to do was grow a big following yeah. that cared about the music that I was putting out. So to answer your question, all of that time ago, the stream base, the people that were listening, uh, was super varied. And at, at the beginning, I was pushing music production lessons and pushing um, things that I could sell. And then my girlfriend was like, no offense, but nobody cares about learning about music. Like they're <laughs> tuning in because you're providing something that they can tune out to while they're studying <laughs> or going about. And I was like, fair enough. So then it became me just like radio host, gravelly voice, like, you know, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're listening in. I hope you're having a nice day, blah, blah, blah. And um, letting people just enjoy the stream and not pushing ads. But at the, yeah. in the middle of the video, I would just have where I was streaming music and where you could find me on YouTube. And then that's where I found my base of people that wanted to know more about how to stream on Reddit, how to create lo-fi beats, how to whatever. And that's where it really changed for me, where I became, I guess not became, but I became more known for being a lo-fi producer. Yeah. Um, before that, I was just making everything. And now I was like saw that 
more people wanted to listen to that. So I created like a lo-fi beat tape and then people were really into that because they could stream that when I wasn't uh, performing on Reddit. Um, and kind of just created a unique base from that and put out some tutorials of how other people were doing it. And now I don't think through, I don't think I was much of an aid, but I think a lot of people had the same idea. And now like Reddit sessions is super, super popular mm. and you've got loads of people with MPDs and different backgrounds and things like that. And it's become a complete norm. So I've kind of pulled away from that a little bit because I have a nice follow base of like sort of 3000 people on, on Reddit. Um, and then like my obviously community on Spotify and things like that. Um, so I'm happy with that. So I dip in sort of every two weeks and do a little Reddit stream and chat to people. Uh, but I've kind of pulled away from that because I think it's again, now the market's saturated, it's time to like innovate yeah. into something else, uh, another interest. Yeah. It definitely seems like Reddit is a great way to grow a natural organic community for any musicians out there who have mm. the uh, ability to live stream sets. Uh, so it, what do you, or have you decided yet what's kind of the next direction that you're going to innovate i have an idea obviously like the vr thing is a, a longer pipe dream kind of passion project but um th for me uh, a huge thing is like when i was in teaching uh i was really excited about like having to teach jazz or blues and or a drier subject that people weren't really open to but there were maybe hip-hop kids in the room and I knew that I could get them interested by playing like, um, like Labry Sifri um, did, I think, the sample that's in like Real Slim Shady or something like that. It was an Eminem song and everybody knew that Eminem song. So I played yeah. it. <laughs> And everybody was like singing along and getting a bit hyper, like, you know how kids are, like just going wild because they've got something they know in the background. <laughs> and and uh, and then I, I would ask them, like, where's the sample from? And there was like a few guesses, but no one really knew. And uh, then I would play Labry Sifri and it's like a six or seven minute tune. And the sample doesn't come in until like five minutes into the <laughs> tune with the bomb, bomb, bomb. And everybody's like, oh, the bass line. But then you let it play out. And it's literally the entire Eminem tune after that point. Oh, wow. With the intro and everything, right? <laughs> the only thing that he adds is fricka, fricka, slim shady. And that's like <laughs> the only instrument, if you like, that's added. And um, so that like, they were blown. But the great thing was, was that I brought them into the world of like funk and blues and jazz yeah. and were able to play them other samples and they had to learn about jazz to pass the course. So I was like, wicked, if you like hip hop, this is where the samples are. Now we're going to learn about jazz and they were all <laughs> on my side. And the same goes for like the metal kids and whatever, like how can we get those guys inspired? Okay. So we're going to play this genre or this performer. So that was always a huge thing that I prided myself on is being able to take what people loved and then bring them into a different area and then they have interest for that so a lot of people know me right now for lo-fi and i think i'm probably going to put out another uh lo-fi either ep or beat tape Sweet. Um, and then i think i'm going to delve into probably go back to like what i i'm hugely passionate about which is like i love the music of uh bonobo and like flume and cashmere and kind of those I, I, I love 
the kind of UK based music scene of like sort of 2009 to 2013. So mm. like Burial, Fortet, that kind of thing. Uh, love like Foley as a replacement for yes. percussion. So I would like to slowly start evolving my lo-fi tracks that are most known uh, on Spotify and kind of taking that audience on a journey from, okay, so you like a plethora of lo-fi music. You obviously like some of my lo-fi music and maybe just trying some different ideas where, okay, I can keep the jazz swung double bass and the pitch bend and the vinyl crackle, but I'm going to replace some of those like traditional drums with Foley drums. And I'm going to add, you know, the Klopfgeist and Kalimba, or I'm going to maybe like do some resampling of an 808 bass and kind of get it into the more bass music layers. Mm. And then that way I can evolve back into the music that I kind of know and love because I do love lo-fi and obviously I love what it's done for my career in this short space of time since I've like left the college and become like a full-time producer, but I don't want to get trapped in lo-fi forever because I know that it's yeah. not going to be a popular thing forever. There's only so many like 24 hour live streams that we yeah. can see and that's grown since the pandemic with will smith putting out a lo-fi live stream really oh my god yeah and there's like <laughs> there's like ones that because obviously being a lo-fi producer the youtube's like you love this like watch these things and i'm like i don't um but like there's like lo-fi live streams to code to and there's like <laughs> lo-fi live streams to take a bath to and take out the trash to and it's like okay this is becoming really saturated yeah so let me try and skip to the next thing if yeah. i can and that seemed wild at the time, but if you look at like bands like, um, I don't know, like Radiohead, uh, even like the early to early Muse stuff to the late Muse stuff, or even if it's like, I don't know, producers from, you know, like if you're, if you're into noisier or someone like that, like each release kind of seemed a little bit different. And if we yeah. take like the noisier art example, you know, they're, they've even made like original soundtracks for games and things that are on spotify and uh, just as widely appreciated because it has a little element of that artist that you're familiar with yeah so i think that's the 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 near side plan is that i'll start embellishing some of that lo-fi music and then try and take it to a different genre for the next release awesome yeah i'm really glad you're deciding to do that because like like you were saying there's obviously enough lo-fi out there to go mm. around so um i'm glad that you're kind of capitalizing on the following you have whilst not completely alienating them exactly exactly yeah and um yeah so speaking of your music i had a uh listen to your slice of life remix because i uh had to see what all the hype was about mm. and yeah i just absolutely love like the vocal processing you did on that like because there was parts in the original uh, that had to had similar processing, and then you seem to have taken that kind of style and applied it across the whole track. Mm. Um, is there anything you can tell us about what you did to the vocals to achieve that? Yeah, so that was a, a really fun one, and of course, like that aided again to the whole career at the present time. Because it started off as um, just a quick one minute remix on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And the same hour, she was like, I love this. Can we put this out? And I was like, oh, I don't have a full track. And I didn't think you'd hit me back. Um, so, because I was putting out loads of different like vocal stuff um, and just like, you know, acapellas and putting music behind it. And no, nobody ever came back. So, 
that came about very quickly and spoke to management and all that kind of thing. Uh, but the vocal processing was something that I was hugely passionate about because uh, are you familiar with Splitter? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like I like only jumped on that train like relatively recently. So this all I started the Suli remix or started the journey with Suli when Slice of Life came out. So it was like maybe May, June time. And then, of course, you have to go through publishing and all that. And it just takes a, a huge amount of time. So back in the summer, uh, it was like June period. And I just found out about Splitter. And the first use of Splitter that I'd, I'd done was Sue Lee's Slice of Life. Because when I heard the the huge, I just found out about Sue Lee. She had um, I'll Just Dance, which was hugely popular. And then her other songs to you and I were extremely popular as well but they weren't at that million streams just yet yeah and uh, i heard slice of life and the drums and the bait oh, just everything was so low in the mix that i was like i know split is not going to be perfect um but it's definitely going to be able to pull out these vocals perfectly because they're so high in the mix and they're right. such a different frequency band to the rest of the instruments um and i believe i'm like trying to go back in my memory but i believe there was like delay on most of the instruments but her vocals were dry oh, so it yes. was just like gonna be like a dream because like splitter would just be like here they are and it, and it was and so when i sent it to her i didn't have the stems for the vocals i just used splitter yeah and i was like here's a remix and i re-recorded every instrument there's not an instrument in slice of life that's in my remix which is why they right. put out the instrumental as well um but obviously after that uh, she sent me the vocal stems and she was like, this is brilliant. Just like clean up the vocals with the vocal stems and then send it back to me, which I did not do, uh, which is like the first time I'm talking about this. I just used Splitter throughout. <laughs> oh no, I used the backing vocal. There's like some R's at the end. Oh, that's amazing. I can separate. <laughs> yeah. But I was just like, oh, you know, when you're, you're already in love with your work and yeah. somebody's like, you could do this. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Like <laughs> I, it was fine. All I needed was for you to be like, this is great. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I don't want to try and put all the plugins back on yeah uh so i just so i just adjusted the high end in the multi-band and uh like just made it a little bit louder and i was like wicked <laughs> and she was like this sounds great but yeah the processing on the vocals um yeah so splitter it's all one band so you've got the backing vocals apart from at the very end which we'll talk about in a sec the entire vocal um uh, stems it's all it's all one stem the backings are there the the r's the u's the ad libs and the lead vocal and then that has a side chain throughout like a lot of my tracks just like a muted kick drum throughout the track really uh heavy ducking uh yep. with the attack and then a medium release and then uh i threw on uh, a little bit of ott like i said just some multi-band compression there not cr not crazy like Grillexy synth-based stuff, but just a little bit to again alleviate some of that low end, bring out some of the highs, and then I added Portal. Um, oh, Portal, Portal! Hell yeah! Yeah, so it gave it that like <laughs> kind of uh, tremolo pan effect, but there was also like some reverb there, um, and that was the first thing that um, lent itself to the pitch effect. So there's some bits that are lower. And there's some like kind of reverse reverb effects. So I just sent it through Portal to a new audio stem. Yeah. Um, and then just like basically messed about with 
probably one of the presets. I uh, didn't create anything from scratch, but just messed about with some of the knobs on Portal, chose the bits I liked and kind of resampled those. And then went back to that kind of dry effect uh, and put Portal now on Ascend. So it was acting more as a reverb than it was in the initial place. So you got like kind of the dry Suli vocal and then some chops underneath from Portal. Mm. Um, and then, like I said, at the very end of the song, uh, there's just some R's and O's and things. And I really like those. And they were so low in Suli's mix that I really wanted to put them to the forefront. Like this, yeah. I hate remixes that are like, a carbon copy of what you've heard in the same yeah. order as the things you've heard. So, you know, that was the whole idea of like the middle eight is actually the chorus that she sings in the original song. And I figured that if you just use that as a dry stem, it sounds really minor, but the tra track is obviously a major key track. And um, I just stripped everything away apart from a piano, I think. Uh, but yeah, the, the oohs and ahs at the end, again, it just super, super uh, heavy side chaining. Uh, and just pitch them three. So you've got like a third and a fifth uh, above the original root kind of ooh and ah, and then they just play out the end of the song. Awesome. Dude, thanks so much for the, the breakdown on that track. No worries. <laughs> uh, I think you've got a video about how you remix that as well, right? Yeah. So youtube.com slash Will Hatton is my kind of main output for all of my breakdowns and video ideas and behind the scenes stuff and i think yeah i have a video on uh, how the whole story came about from yeah. suli getting in touch to how i broke down the track as well yeah. or how i made the track it just goes to show like uh, i know a lot of producers out there get demoralized because they put in all this work and then they make it public and no one hears it but like yours your story is just like proof that it can happen you know you made this remix and like you said you didn't think she was gonna hit you back but she mm. did and now it's massive like how does it feel to have that hit i think like it's bittersweet as well but it's interesting <laughs> because um of course the work that you put hours and hours and hours into are never going to be the most appreciated songs yeah. like you can excuse me that you can fine tune you know if you're if you're doing uh, like a bass music track and you've got some super wide super saws and you're like detuning them what is it minus seven cents or minus eight cents and you know like <laughs> nobody's going to appreciate that work that you put in no one's going to appreciate you know the, the the comb filtering that you've done to get rid of that frequency like if the song and that's the brilliant thing about lo-fi is because now you no longer have to worry about mix and master yeah. as much because it can be slightly quieter than a radio track it can be slightly noisier of course um than a standard pop clean track um but the the way that it came about and i was saying this in the comment section on reddit one time is that there's definitely a huge element of luck like i said i was doing this with loads of artists just because i was messing about with acapellas or techniques and on instagram uh, that's a place where I just put little mess arounds and little ideas or announcements on YouTube. That's where I put like the meat and potatoes of content. And when I did that, because it was a mess around and because I didn't take it that seriously, I put it on Instagram. Yeah. But Suli has the least following on Instagram. Right. So even 
from a, a, a obviously at the time when I posted it, it was just sh- sheer luck. But in retrospect, if you want to use that as a business model, it makes more sense. Most people are going to find your music through your uh, most uh, seen or followed social media. For her, it was um, YouTube. So I'm not going to hit somebody that has like 350,000 or however many she has followers up via the YouTube comment section. Yeah. Hey, I remixed your song. Um, I'm rarely going to go to the email address that is linked to that account as well. Yeah. Because again, if I can see it, everybody else can see it. So like, let's play the smartest cards that I can uh, and go to the Instagram account. Let's go to the SoundCloud account. Let's go to and see when she was like either last posting or, or he was last posting, last online, whatever, and then hit that one up. And so, like I said, there's no um, illusion. It wasn't purposeful. But I've definitely used that model again and previous to that as well. If it wasn't a mess around, like I have done that in um, real life to get like even to get like paid work and things like you can be more sensible about how you're approaching artists. So like back in the day when I first started producing, I couldn't use I used to have drummer 360 because I had an Xbox 360 (laughs) and I obviously played drums as my um at hotmail.co.uk or at Yahoo or whatever it was at the time. And a uh, drama was obviously spelt D-R-U-M-M-A because I was super cool. And so like, I can't hit up management or, you know, publishing or an artist with drama 360 at Yahoo. Yeah. So I created like uh, will dot, and then I used uh, an amalgamation of two of my colleagues' last names. Right. Um, as, as my last name. So I just did will dot this amalgamation and then had a business email. And then I used business language. So I hit these artists up and said like, we're approaching the last quarter of the year and we're finalizing some deadlines with uh, one of our you know hottest artists right now. And they showed interest in producing a track for you, blah, blah, blah. And just the people that were coming back. Obviously I didn't sell every track, but yeah. I was getting more replies than hitting somebody up in the comment section of YouTube and being yeah. like, I would love to make a beat for you. Like <laughs> people were coming back and saying, okay, this is interesting. Who's your artist? Like what tracks, can you send us a snippet? And I was kind of getting my foot in the door that way so yeah to answer your question it's like it was a uh there was definitive luck there and i'm really happy about it but it was also like kind of a sensible choice in the way that it came about organically as well like she had the least amount of following on instagram and it was really Mm. easy to open up even when we first started chatting it was just in the dm so obviously my there wasn't a big enough following in the dms that my messages were getting lost amongst other people so yeah that's where we're at yeah that's i actually um applied that uh just like an hour or two before the podcast began Um, right (laughs) there's a new uh well not an esports team but a new social media content creation team or whatever Mm. called otk um if anyone's familiar with the wow scene it's asmongold sfand uh sfand isn't really in the wow scene but um Oh, sorry. No, S-Fan is in the WoW scene. Uh, Ms. Kiff is the person that isn't really. But anyway, they started a new team called OTK. And I was like, hey, they're a content creation team. Maybe they need some freelance music. Exactly, so yeah. I, I went to hit them up. But I was like, wait a minute. I'm not going to hit them up on Twitch. 
because all of their fucking thousand raging viewers are sending them angry DMs on Twitch because they yep. said something they don't agree with. So yeah, I'm going to go find them on socials, uh, whichever socials they have the least following on and exactly. DM them on there instead because it's yeah much more likely to get seen. It's, it's, it's also like about being... Obviously, there's an element of being personable and being professional, but also like taking a little bit of time. Like how many um, I've done this recently, a similar example to you with uh, YouTube content creators. And it's like how many as, as well, if they're a popular channel, people are hitting them up and saying, if you need music, like I'm just or like young kids, the worst thing that you can ever be messaged and uh, you know i'm guilty of this when i was a kid as well is messaging someone and saying i'm just looking for a foot in the door and people are like <laughs> oh i'm out whatever man <laughs> but if you took some time and you were personable to ask them some questions and you were professional to use a professional email account and use professional language but then also uh take some time to create them some content for free mm. like i would always hit people up um i would ask what their um, or still do, I ask what their plans are for the future. You don't want to hit somebody up that's like at the tail end of their career and they're like, I'm going to make one more banger and then I'm probably going to quit this because I've got enough money in the bank. Like, And you're like, hey, can I make a tune? Like you wasted your time. Yeah. So what's your plans for like 2021 or like, the, you know, you don't want to do it the same year. Get some conversation going and then just be like, hey, I noticed like, uh, you know, I love your channel, but I noticed that it was lacking whatever the thing it's lacking yeah. and then present them with, uh, and this is what I did for a, a recent YouTube channel, um, hit up like the directors. I didn't hit up the people in the video. Um, I hit up the people that manage the account, got the dialogue open and then just said, Hey, I noticed that the vocals in your videos are, are a really low level. And I noticed that when you do transitions, the music is super distorted. And I even like made a premiere pro video of me chatting about it. And crop the comments where like over about a six month period people were like please sort out your audio and it's like <laughs> quite a well-known like youtube channel and um you know just said like there's obviously some problems and the people outside of music have noticed this as well yeah. here's what your videos currently look like here's what your competitors videos look like and here's what i've done with it now, to me and you, it's like as simple as throwing ozone on a track <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a little bit of RX-7 and, and you know, it's all preset work and it takes like 20 yeah. minutes maybe. But on their end of the spectrum, they don't know ozone, they don't know RX-7, they don't know presets and they obviously haven't thought about this because they've been producing similar good content for years but there's just this one minor flaw and you're yeah. able to facilitate that so going the extra mile and instead of saying can i make some music for your channel being like hey there's this flaw i've fixed it if you want to work and collaborate again in the future you know uh hit me up and then you can talk about rates and things like that so it's just like again it's that whole thing of innovation and how can i separate myself from the majority and where can i reach this person the easiest yeah i think uh getting uh, doing mixing work for YouTube channels is a good, possibly a good way to get your foot in the door to become like their main audio guy, which would allow you to do music as well, perhaps. Of course. Um, and it's like, like when you, if you've ever applied for a mixing or s especially like sound design work, like everybody's looking for like a, your previous work to have been on a AAA game or yeah. a released film or whatever. And it's like, 
cool. That would be amazing. But I don't have that experience. And also, is that where it's exciting right now? But is it where the excitement's going? So, like, I know, and it's probably the same globally. It doesn't even have to be where you are, but probably all around the world. Is like in the UK, they're super hot on TV licenses, oh, and yeah. they they I haven't had a TV license in years because I don't own a TV. I just have a laptop. I don't stream BBC television. Uh, which is like one of the you know points that they they that you need to have a TV license is that you have to stream live BBC television, which I don't. It's like YouTube only, and then some Netflix, and so don't have a TV license. But over the last year, the UK have been like really posting a lot of letters, red letters. Don't forget, you can go to prison and you can face like a thousand pound fine if you don't pay your TV license. Because it's a stress for people. They're like, oh, I don't want to get caught out. I'm going to pay my TV license. There's a reason the company is doing that. And it's because less and less people have TV licenses and they really want the money. So if you look at those kind of trends, it's like, okay, do I really want to make music for a TV show? Probably not. It's not going to be there in a couple of years. Do I really want to make uh, music for for a video game yes i do what are the trends right now like let's make uh music for or clean up audio or create masters for youtube channels that get us to the next bigger youtube channels let's try and get on a gaming youtube channel what are some of the biggest games if you were to ask me um what game i wish i'd have composed for it's not going to be like fallout vegas or anything like that it's going to be among us Right, oh, because Among Us yeah. is like <laughs> a stupid flash game that came about in like 2016 or 2018 or whenever it was, 2018 I think, and then suddenly like everybody knows it. Like AOC is playing Among Us. Like I'm sure Joe Rogan has looked at Among Us. Like everybody knows it. And if you compose for something like that, where just like it's minimal effort but maximum reward, yeah, you're now like okay. You approach those companies that need you to have worked on a AAA game and you're like, hey, I haven't worked on a AAA game, but you've probably heard of Among Us and I worked on that and it's in like every household now. So again, just that whole thing of being smarter about where your effort and where your work is going. Yeah. Just like think about how many small indie games you could hit versus one big game. Like, and you're probably not even going to get on that one big game. Like, Exactly. Instead of focusing all your attention on trying to get, you know, that big break, like <laughs> the big break concept is pretty much a myth. It's just like yeah. you've got to do as many different things as you can and then eventually one of them will pop off. Exactly. And like like think about the biggest mobile game like Candy Crush, right? They're they're obviously a giant company right now. So there's probably every um what would the word be like um there's every possibility that that company has now put money into other startup companies and they're like right let's see how you know wide we can cast the net so candy crush is a puzzle game let's try and get more people into i don't know they're probably looking at apps like zoom and google classroom and things like that but they're also probably looking at other games that have more of a club penguin kind of vibe the social games they're probably looking at card games so look at those smaller companies don't go for candy crush but look at the other startup companies that they already have like a million pounds investment but they're like a really small indie company and then just go in low and be like hey uh, i would like to make this game for like a hundred pounds up front but uh can i get paid 
5% if this game does anything and then just see and if you're doing like loads and nets like that you're just making alternative versions of the same 30 second true, loop true. you cast your nate su super <laughs> like this is lessons this is facts man and then like you know you cast that net super wide one of those games is going to come back and you're making five percent imagine you were making five percent on like all of the downloads for among us you'd just oh my oh, god man. you'd be like re re just like quit that's cool i'm good until i'm like 50 years old it's cool you know so they're, they're again they're, they're the things that i'm kind of excited about and that's the kind of innovation that i'm talking about because i think there's more than face value uh yeah projects that you can get involved in absolutely and yeah, I'll, I just want to jump back to the mixing for YouTube channels thing real quick. Like people might think that mixing for YouTube channels is like some mysterious thing. I know I personally thought that until I went to uni and then I discovered that mixing dialogue for films is pretty much you want to do as little as you can because mm. you want to keep it as natural as possible. A hundred percent. So yeah, uh, Mixing dialogue is not some mysterious thing. So if you're a music producer listening to podcast, this podcast, which is like a hundred percent of you, hit up some YouTube <laughs> channels and uh, <laughs> you know just be like, "Hey, I can improve your audio. Maybe take Will's mm. tip on creating a video that shows how shit their audio has been <laughs> across yeah. the years." And um, just like, don't you don't have to even give away any secrets. Yeah. you just have to be like, "I like you guys. You do this." but here's a flaw and here's what I've done. Because obviously if you're going to go in and be like, so I took the years from university at this, you know, college and I studied under this professor and I used this plugin and I had to learn <laughs> logic. And what you want to use is RX-7, which is actually an audio, you can give them all the answers. They're just going to yeah. either figure it out themselves or employ somebody and give them the sheet, the script that exactly. they have to follow yeah. and they'll do it themselves. So, you know, you know, you don't have to, pretend you're something you're not but just keep your cards close to your chest i think everybody that listens to this podcast is obviously into sound design and production and things like that so we all have this really really unique skill set it doesn't yeah. matter that there's a bunch of people at home that have cracked fl studio because what i've found is even those people are going to have like the different methods of resampling the different methods of programming midi whether you like the kind of piano roll method or you like recording it in real time you know you're going to pick different samples so just like find your skill set find what you're passionate about and then approach a company that doesn't have that thing and then be like here's what i can do yeah and speaking of youtube channels let's jump into yours so over the past few months, you've been putting out consistent videos, which I assume lines up with about the time you stopped teaching. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah so I had, <laughs> I had like free time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you've also got like so many other things you're doing. So I was, was going to ask, is it hard balancing the, the YouTube with the other things or is it kind of just YouTube has replaced uh, the amount of time you spent teaching? That's a really good question. I think it's kind of like column A, column B as well, like yeah. a little bit of both, because yeah. uh, when I first finished, don't forget, I did that like for 10 years and every day was exactly the same and somebody told right. me what I needed to do. And so you get to the, the, the frustration was that I was like fascinated with sound, but at the end of the first year when I brought these students to a certain point, I had to start again. Yeah, And it was the same basics again. So then I go to like being freelance and I approached it in a very similar mindset. And um, I think I focused all my attention on the first month or two on my website. 
And then uh, my girlfriend, who works for like a, a quite big business corporation, is obviously working from home. And she came at it from a business mindset. And it was so obvious. But she was like, why are you putting all of this effort into a place where the, the traffic doesn't uh, go immediately to? That's something that they go to through Instagram or they go through or they get to through YouTube. So put the attention to the other avenues. And I was like, okay, perfect. So then I started like casting my net a little bit wider, creating good YouTube content that I think had the potential to grow. So like nothing that was outdated, things that played on my strengths. So obviously there's a, a little bit more lo-fi videos yeah. at the minute, but I'm still throwing in like, uh, I've got one on garage, I've got one on drum and bass and things like that. Like the, the areas that I am really, really interested in. Um, and then looking at my other avenues, I have to pay the bills. Uh, right now, I think probably by the end of next week, end of October, I'll probably be at a thousand subscribers. Oh, sick. And like, that's really exciting, but that's still not monetized, right? Yeah. Because you need 4,000 watch hours. So YouTube is solely a passion project that I'm putting a lot of time in right now, but I have to get paid. So it was like, okay, what else can I do? I can do affiliate marketing. I can do affiliate links. I can do Skillshare. Um, I can do obviously like Upwork. I can do different things where um, behind the scenes, but I'm um, creating music. So there was a huge uh, period of time where I was just making sound banks intro. I was making like a two minute song. And I would make a two minute song and then I would delete the uh, bounce it and delete the MIDI line. Then I'd create a new melody with the same drums. Then I would like pitch down the drums, make them more staccato, add a different hi-hat and then change the bass line. And then I would like cut the two minute entire track into a 15 second intro with whatever was at the end and add loads of reverb. So it was like a stab. So it just did this build up and then a stab. Yeah. And then I created loads of files that were just called intro. And then I went immediately to like every real, uh, every uh, non-exclusive site that I could find and sell the same tunes on. Right. And then just yeah. go right here, are all my tracks that I've spent like a month making like 40 tracks on, but also here are like just intro markers and here are just outro markers. So if cool. you were a YouTube channel or whatever, you could be like, cool, uh, I need, you know, just a 15 second intro. I don't care about music. So it just goes da, 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 like that. And that's the end. Um, and then like, obviously like taking all of those tracks, changing the BPM slightly, making it a more trap beat uh, and then bouncing it again as a full like two minute 30, which is a bit more popular now. Obviously it was like three minutes, 33 minutes. Now you're getting like shorter songs. So I'd make like a two minute 30 edit of those tracks and then go to beat stars. <laughs> so if there was any rappers and stuff like that, and just like, again, like that whole thing of like working smarter. Yeah. Cause I wasted, I'm like not getting paid. And like the first two months of being unemployed and not getting paid, uh, I was spending all of this time on making an edit on YouTube about like how to, I don't know, make a beat from scratch and nobody was like coming out for it. So then it was like, how do I, if I've already made a beat? Yeah. So I was like making a beat for YouTube and then making a separate beat for Instagram and it were like entirely mixed and mastered and finished. And then I like, again, like my girlfriend comes up with all of the good <laughs> ideas because she's of a business mindset and I'm like a, an artist, right? So I'm yeah. like, oh, it has to be perfect. It has to be. And she was like, there's a way that you can like streamline that. She was like, can you not just make alternative versions that are slightly different? Right. And I was like, yes, I can. And she was like, and can you not like use the same content from Instagram and then repurpose it for YouTube? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to. And she was like, can you not make like 
a preview of the song that you play on the MPD as the tile on Instagram? And can you not lead people to YouTube from that and say, if you want to know how I made this beat and blah, blah, blah. So that was the same method I used for like sync work, for making beats for rappers and whatever. It's like, how many alternatives of the same shit can I make? Because there's like a 13 year old kid that has got a cracked version of FL Studio and a cracked version of Ozone 8. And he's just like making beats all day. Exactly. Mastering them with a preset and then selling them for like 300 quid a track. And at the minute, he has got way more of a following than you do. So I just need as many tracks. I'm not bothered about following him. I'm bothered about like not having somewhere to live in a couple of months. <laughs> so it was like, it just came about like, how can I get the biggest net of work into the world uh, that I can, uh, but for the best value for money, like for the consumer as well. Like how do I make sure that it isn't just a bunch of splice samples uh, that is ripped on FL and then like, you know, added to ozone? How do I make it like audibly um, enjoyable? Yeah. So that's kind of, yeah. So to answer your question, YouTube is the focal point, but it's not the money maker. I kind of spread my week like seven days, Saturday, Sunday nights, you know, uh, I create a timetable for myself. It's awesome doing like so many different things. It just makes, uh, it makes, it makes each thing that much more enjoyable when you're not just yeah. like, uh, I need to get this one thing done. And that's just your whole week. Like, I, I think I'm that. like really enjoy, enjoying, uh, time constraints as well. I don't know if mm. you do the same thing, but like I used to make beats for months, like make a beat for a month. And I like, do all the MIDI and do and like resample myself and all that kind of thing. And then like the more, obviously we're both on the like huge, like you, as everybody probably listening is just like YouTube tutorials all yeah. the time, <laughs> just watching more and more people be like, and once again, I'm going to use this same, you know, cashmere sample from Splice or whatever yeah. and being like, oh, people do repurpose the same stuff and they do speed up. Like they don't have to make a kick drum in Serum. They yeah. can just like use a, you know, drums that knock nine or whatever from Decap <laughs> and just like throw that in and you use that as your go-to kick drum. That is okay. That's an okay yeah. thing to do. So I've started like putting a 45 minute timer on stuff and just being like how many lo-fi loops can i make in 45 minutes Sick. and then like a few days later when i've kind of forgot about the melodies and how they sound all right i've got 10 minutes to preview all of these tracks and create a list of the ones that i think will work and then i'm going to set an hour and i'm going to finish two of them so 30 minutes 30 minutes and the timer goes off and wherever i'm at i have to just save and go to the next one and Damn. it's just sped up my workflow but it's like made it really really fun as yeah. well because i only have that time to work and then that makes it a little bit less precious for me to like make the mm. music and like really care about it but the output is way better because then people start taking notice and they're like how are you putting out so much so quickly yeah. you know so it's kind of fun it kind of reminds me of uh Bill Gates's time boxing technique, if you've heard of that, like, yeah, he gives like, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but there's like five minutes to do drums, five minutes to jam exactly. out some melodies and then 10 minutes to mix or whatever. And then at the end of the 45 minutes, you have a, you know, basically the whole arrangement of a, an EDM tune, except you'll do it with lo-fi. Are you familiar with, um, did you ever watch any of the two pack? Uh, no. documentary pieces when he got so he, like Tupac got out of prison and I, I'm going to like butcher this and there's going to be someone that <laughs> angrily messages me and be like oh my god on Tupac's name how could you but like whatever it was something like this and I know um, 
not MF Doom, but one of the MFs like did a similar thing. But basically when Tupac was out on bail, right, he posted bail and I think he was only out for either a day or a week and he was going back to prison. And he got all his homies in the studio together and uh, was like, I'm going to, like he'd written it, nothing but time, like just written it all in the, in prison. So yeah. all the lyrics were done. And there's this like documentary clip that's on YouTube where he's like, there's time and people that love mastering tracks. We don't have to sit here today and fine tune a kick drum or find the right snare. There's people that love to get the headroom right on a master. He was like, our only job today in the next 24 hour period is to make an album. So we're going to go in, we're going to do all the ad libs, right. we're going to do all the lyrics. Then you're going to come in the studio. If you like the harmonies on that, you'll come in. If we're done with that track, we're going to move to the next one. And they did it in a day. Yeah. He went back to prison and then his team got together <laughs> and they were like, okay, this guitar's a little bit out of tune or like, we don't like this kick drum or we're going to master this. This needs EQing. Have you got the stems? And they cleaned it up. And I, I kind of used that as a, probably like on a weekly basis, I watched that video just for inspiration because that's kind of what it's about. Like there are people in the world that really care about that stuff. Yeah. But the mass majority, like think about some of the biggest selling albums, like Amy Winehouse, um, there's a documentary where Mark, who who did Amy Winehouse? Mark Ronson. He was like, oh, Amy was obsessed with live instruments and she, you know, she had to have um, live instruments on her track. Dude, listen to the first Amy Winehouse album. You can hear Apple loops. Like even if it's like the instruments tuning up and things like that, they're literally <laughs> Apple loops of oh, the instruments man. tuning up. And I'm like, that's the biggest selling album. And the mass majority don't give a fuck that it's Apple Loops. Yeah. So why am I so precious about making a kick drum from scratch in Serum? Let's just get a nice sounding kick drum and like move on, forget about it. If it's not mixed, you know, completely right, but people are already excited about the tune, just put the tune out and like chuck a limiter on it. It's fine. Nobody's going to care that there's like a slight bit of hiss or that it's slightly quieter or like it's a little bit muddy. You know, I used to spend a lot of time on that and now I'm just like about the end result. Yeah, it's absolutely about just being as efficient as you can be. Uh, and yeah, like when when you make a sound, uh, like I know you're, you're kind of... Uh, saying that you don't always need to make your own sounds and stuff but when you do make a sound make sure to save it to your sample library so you can use yeah. it again in the future 100 percent. and I, I find the same with even like are you uh you know if you're like a an ableton user i know you can do well yeah you can pretty much do it in every daw i know you can do it with logic i've never used fl but i'm sure you can like the stock ableton eq is fine it yeah. works like if you're just trying to roll um if you're just trying to roll off like the low end or something use the stock ableton plugin but right click the taskbar and uh, click uh over sample and choose over sample and then save that as a preset because yeah. then that gives you like some of the clarity that something like pro q3 or something will use uh but it's just in the stock plugin like they are actually powerful but they take all of the bells and whistles off of those plugins to make them universally easy to use so yeah. click that over sample save it as a preset so it's blank eq and then when you're rolling off the low end it's like basically like having linear phase on pro q3 like it just sounds like much cleaner and it's a little bit more uh harsh with its like options you know just again but it's the whole working smarter thing isn't it yeah. if you're saying like make a sound and save it as a preset again make work smarter if you like a, a super sore sound that you've created save it you don't want to 
have to hit like five, six clicks every time you bring open that sound. Exactly. And in creating sounds, it's way more than five or six, but, um, well, yeah, 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 (laughs) but you know, like there's so many like hard dance or hard style, I don't know, house, big room, et cetera. Like they always use the same sounds and like, you'd think people are getting sick of them, but no, it's just like a different melody. They just pump out different melodies constantly and people are like, oh my God. Yeah. So good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, um, speaking of uh, like sound design, I guess, um, one of your YouTube videos that I really loved was the one where you took like an ambient sample. I think it was just like a, a, a recording of people on a street or something. And then you used an EQ notch to basically insert a sign tone into the sample. Um, I never would have thought of that, but uh, it's so fucking cool. Um is that like, has that become one of your frequently used techniques or have you perhaps saved that EQ as a uh, template? <laughs> um, I haven't, but I should. And I should, you know what, after this, over the weekend, I'm going to, if you want to like anybody listening, I assume not many people from this channel have gone over to mine, but if, if you head over to this uh, particular YouTube video, how to create uh, pads out of atmospheric sounds. I think it's got a picture of burial. I'll, I will make a template available, <laughs> like a media file or a Dropbox link, and I'll put it in that video by the time this podcast comes out. Because I should, it's quite easy to do. But um, yeah, it's funny how that, um, if I can tell like a quick little story, and this one will be quick <laughs> compared to my others. Um, but there's a friend of mine, um shout out damian taylor and he's a producer that's like super known in the industry and he um he did he worked with bjork for like nine years and was bjork's producer and he was like a silent member of uncle he's been nominated for six grammys and did like loads of stuff with prodigy and you know like crazy stuff in the early 2000s and he's become like a good friend of mine recently and and a bit of a mentor and we facetime every couple of weeks and uh, I tuned it. He streams on Twitch most days. And I tre- tuned into his Twitch stream just last night. And I hadn't tuned in for like a week or two. And uh, there was like 35 people in the room. And he g- gives it like, oh, Will Hatton's here. Uh, Will Hatton of the Hatton pad. And then the chat started going. And I was laughing and whatever. And then he said so many people of the, um, he runs a network of, of like a kind of like an online kind of like a discord but just for his website right uh, where you can go and talk in the forum of his website called a complete producer network and on that people started sharing their folders that they call the hatton pad um following that video where <laughs> they thought it was a really cool idea and loads of people have created their own sounds from foley and then were sharing right. it with me and it was just the mind you know like if we're talking about the sue lee remix that came out and very quickly got like twenty thousand views and i i I don't even think it's been a month yet, uh, which was like really good for my own music. But the craziest trip for me was like maybe five or 10 people coming back and being like, we love that sound that you created. Here's <laughs> the sound that we created. And they called it the Hatton Pad. And I was like, that's cool. Oh, but yeah, I basically like to answer your question, like use it in, uh, I use pads a lot, but uh, I use it in any track where I probably have some Foley, yeah. which is a lot of my, um, it's not in my newest like lo-fi beat tape, but there's an album, which is like my first release on Spotify, which is kind of before I entered the lo-fi game, mm. um, was kind of my passion called Peyote. And a lot of the pads in that 
uh, a lot of the sounds in that are ambient sounds that I've recorded with a Zoom H6. And just to get them a little bit more unique and a little bit wider and a little bit more in key with the music, I do the same thing. Just like throw a couple of the sounds as a loop. I try and make the loops odd as well. So they might be six or seven bars rather than four or eight, just so they're not as like you don't hear that same sound yeah. coming back at the same marker. Um, and then, yeah, like throw it on simpler, then like make sure that you've got that whole granular synthesis thing going and make sure that you've got the uh, the the EQ set to 440 and then just transpose it to C from A. And then, yeah, you're like good to go. And it's like super unique. It's super easy to do, but it's like a super unique sound. And it doesn't matter if yeah. you and I went to the same place with the same microphone and recorded the same sound. You and I are going to get different results because yeah. of where you were stood and how you process it and what loop you choose and whatever. Like So uh, time and time, I used to do it in teaching all the time, like time and time again, you get a different result. And that like is the best thing because we're using, like you say, splice samples all the time and all of the same sounds. Yeah. And this is me like literally replicating the same method in almost every track that I've created. And I love it because it produces a, a different result every single time. Uh, but it's a really, really easy method that for some reason I haven't saved as a preset and you've just like really <laughs> shone a light on that and i'm like why didn't i ever save it yeah i just make it every time but yeah yeah so it's probably one of my favorite like little uh i don't know if you can call it like innovations or whatever my friend showed it to me uh and he was just doing it with like the eq on its own so it seemed yeah. like a no-brainer to then uh add a bunch of effects to it and then once i found out about the whole like granular synthesis side of it to mess with the sounds of where it's starting and ending. Um, yeah, was that like, was okay, crazy like as super well. Powerful. Yeah, I didn't even know that you could actually make uh, the default simpler or sampler like randomly choose where the sample starts. I thought you could only do that in like the uh, same man. Like the, the video that I found it with was uh, an old video of like Ableton Seven or something oh, wow. like that. <laughs> like really, like when it didn't look. Uh, I know it's not three D, but at least there's like some depth to Ableton. Yeah, but like back in the day it was like all one matte color and it just looked like horrible and there's a, a guy on youtube and he has like only a, a thousand or three thousand views on this video and he's like really quiet talking you through it okay guys what we're gonna do is you're gonna come over here and you're gonna click this tab and i was like <laughs> oh my god and then i started typing in you know like uh grain uh, uh grain synthesis and things like that with simpler and there wasn't many videos coming up so again that's why it became an idea for the channel uh but also something that i could create in my own music mm. and have this like you're not going to know it to hear it you're not going to go oh i bet he did this with <laughs> yeah. the the atmospheres but it, it is definitely a way to create a really unique pad that doesn't have to start with like a sign tone and then like turning up the unison and all of this kind of thing and then adding your sounds. It's a really yeah. great way to like just get the key out of any sound that you record. Because pad pads are so boring when they're just like completely synthesized. Yeah, like you can I side chain <laughs> them, you can pan them, but they're the same sound. Exactly. Um, I can't open Discord right now. Can you remind me the name of your Discord server? No, because <laughs> I don't even know it. <laughs> But I know, but because on all my videos, I just link it yeah. as the thing. Because when you join it, I don't like no word of a lie to anybody listening. Um, I 
people on my Discord, you, you're in it, and you can scroll up and see. People are like, "Do you want to add a bot to this Discord? Like, do you want to? Do you want me to mod the Discord?" And I'm like, "No, I'm fine." And that's because I literally don't know how to use Discord. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I don't want a mod because I don't know how to set one, and I don't know what you're gonna do if you're a mod, and yeah. I don't know. I, I have a DJ bot. Oh, and a countdown bot, but they were super easy to like copy paste. But I don't know how to use the bots. And when I started the DJ bot, it was like in every room. And I was like, oh my God, this is too much. So the Discord server name, I think is just discord.com slash the Will Hatton, as it is on right. my Instagram slash the Will Hatton. And then my YouTube's just Will Hatton. I don't know why I didn't put the there, but yeah. So, but when you go there, obviously it like comes up with an error and you don't have the invite. And it gets a bit crazy. So oh, really? if you go to any like, yeah, I think I've privatized it or something, something <laughs> stupid. So if you go to my YouTube channel, it's linked in every YouTube channel as the automatic cool. like invite link. And you just copy paste that in. And I'm just like, <laughs> you've shone a light on so many foolish things that I've done. Where I'm like, I don't know why I've done it like this, but it just makes it a little bit easier if you can just automatically invite yourself to it. And I don't have to press a button. So yeah, that's, that's where we're at, guys. So... <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like you're like a bank robber that I've just arrested and I've started interrogating you and then yeah. you just told me absolutely everything when I gave you too much information you're like so you use the front door where the main CCTV camera is and I'm like is there CCTV there I had no idea and they're like why did you pull your mask down at the door why didn't you wear your mask in the car and I was like oh it was just like you know because of COVID I was only like it's not even I was just thinking of other people I didn't want to make them sick I didn't even think about wearing a balaclava so yeah the only reason I asked about your discord server name was because I think you should change it to the hat and pad <laughs> <laughs> again i'm just not keying into this branding thing yeah maybe i should change it to the hat and pad i just think that you can be, share your own pads yeah you're gonna a like cool take time. a take a percentage of that now for like uh, being the creator of the name. yeah yeah well well discord will have to monetize for creators first but yeah sure okay yeah <laughs> sure let's get on that discord when you're listening do uh, that so uh, yeah, going off the hat and pad thing, um, are there any other like unorthodox techniques that you'd like to uh, shine a light on? Um, I think like one of the ones that spring to mind is, and I don't know how unorthodox it is, but I use it every day and I don't see my producer friends using the same method. Okay. And when I'm like, why don't you do this? They're like, I had no idea that was there. So this is purely going off of me and like three, four friends that I produce alongside with. So let's see. Are you an Ableton user? Yeah. Okay, cool. So when you go into Ableton and you're programming drums, something that I like to do is I use loads of found sounds, loads of Foley. I'll group that. So, uh, and I think, again, I've included this in one of my YouTube videos, uh, which I think is like, how to create unique uh, drums but basically take a bunch of sounds you can do this with loops i tend to create my own layer them however you don't have to layer them as a loop and then just group it and then go into that uh, group sorry sorry you have to export it so bounce it out and um with that like kind of group that you've bounced out uh just double click and hit warp and then go to beats instead of complex where it's set or at yeah. least for me, it's automatically set to complex. So yeah, uh, change it to beats. 
and change it to forward transient marking yeah. and then just drag that transient marking down and automatically you just get obviously the peaks of the transients uh and then from that you'll naturally hear okay there's some kind of loop in amongst all of this like i'll use like an african seed shaker and then a bunch of like i don't know glass and salt shakers and things like that suddenly there's these kind of clicks and snaps that i'm like okay doesn't sound like a loop but there's something there and i can kind right. of chop them up or warp them in place uh and what i'll do is i'll i'll use that on kicks and snares to get rid of some of the overtones and room sound that might be on like i know the count has like some really nice claps on splice but there's so much room sound there that i automatically just warp yeah. uh, by by beat by transient get rid of the room sound but yeah on the kind of found sound element i'll always in most of my production uh do some found sound work use that technique and pan it left uh mono and then do the same thing and put a utility on it have it mono and then pan it right. So you've got these different kind of ear candy parts low in the mix, just kind of bubbling over as different loops. And then you can keep your kick drum and your snare drum or your kick and your clap completely centralized. Um, and that's kind of a, a technique that I use again. Uh, you can tell me because you speak to way more producers than I do if that's a method that everybody's using, but it's something that I find always gives like quite a unique sound. Yeah, I don't think many people use that, at least not that I'm aware of, but mm. uh, I feel like the that kind of technique is definitely more suited to the lo-fi side of yeah. things, and I don't talk to many lo-fi producers. 100%, yeah. yeah. But that's really cool. Like, I've been hearing a lot of people basically discover the forward warping mode on beats lately like mm. it, it seems like it, it's a new thing for everyone right now because they've just i guess they've just never clicked that button before but it it truly is amazing for just removing any unwanted noise after those transients exactly. yeah i think the uh the other thing that's really fun which is more of like when i'm doing the kind of bass music side of things is just like again it's not that unorthodox it's not that um it's not that unheard of it's basically resampling but i think the method of doing it if you've got time is like really fun i used to do this on trains all the time so if i've got like a long journey get the laptop out and what i'll do is i'll create like a a synth pad um with like two or three layers at a really fast bpm so like 175 plus um and then what i'll do is i'll put like a trance gate or just a noise gate randomly on that synth pad group uh and then what i do is like i uh resample it so just bounce it out bring it back in and then i bring the tempo down and stretch it right out mm. and then use those elements as chops um, and then you've got like this pad that was being cut by the noise gate or the trance gate at a faster rate and normally in an odd time signature and now you have this real like john hopkins esque kind of pad sound that you can use as like the basis for your id and you don't really even have to worry about like creating a melody i just hold down like f and then go okay what's like the rhythmic pattern that it's created for me and how can i like transpose that um, and that's like something that i use quite a lot to create like my own synth sounds mm. i think that also speaks to working smarter not harder because you know, obviously, if someone was to try recreate that, they would go in, make a synth, and then chop it up like in minute detail. Whereas yeah. you've just done like, okay, here's a few steps, stretch it out. All right, done. Like, 
yeah smarter not harder yeah that's sure. my i think that's going to be how that'll maybe that'll be the discord name it's one of the <laughs> other it's either the hat and pad or smarter not harder i'm gonna to have to put like a little poll there and just see <laughs> if like the fucking 20 people in my discord like a name or just don't care they're just apathetic to it if you don't rename the whole server to the hat and pad please at least give me the general chat <laughs> okay yeah sure <laughs> um all right, so we're going to wrap it up pretty soon here, but I have uh, one more question for you, and it might be the hardest or it might be okay. the easiest. Okay. So if you had to go back in time and t- tell young Will one thing in, in relation to music, what would it be? Dude, if you'd have asked me this question 24 hours ago, it would have been the hardest question. <laughs> I did that radio show yesterday and they asked the same question. Ah. So I'm like, I'm like loaded. I'm loaded. You were beaten by literally 24 hours, like previous self. So yeah, this is cool. Um, So basically when, when I was young, when I was like uh, 11, as you know, I was like, wanted to be a session drummer and I created for myself this tunnel vision pipe dream where I was like only going to do that thing. Yeah. And I had this like for the listeners, like if they're familiar with like Kenny Beats and things like that, those types of videos, a similar mentality where I cut out everybody in my life and I cut out all distractions. So from the age of 11 and my parents were like super hot on it as well. So, you know, my mom, my stepdad were making sure that I was like playing drums at all hours. I'm talking like playing drums in the house for for like three to six hours a day. Oh my God. Every day. (laughs) Yeah. And like super supportive parents, but like not on like the um, mental stability side of things. (laughs) They just wanted to see that I was going to be successful because I decided I want to do this thing. So like I did that for about 10 years and then I moved out when I was like 20, 21. And um, so I was like super sick at playing drums, but I had no friends and like I didn't have any games, consoles. I didn't watch any films. All I did uh, and it happened when I moved in is uh, I just like drilled down into this one thing. And the things that lacked in my life were like personability. I wasn't very good at talking to people. I wasn't very good at out, uh, I wasn't very outgoing. Uh, and I only had one interest. Uh, I didn't have like a social life, wasn't seeing anybody. So then I started going on dates, man, try it. And like, we've been talking for nearly two hours, try and hold a conversation when the girl's like, uh, what are your interests and you're like i like drums and (laughs) next question you know and everything i spoke about had to go back to me playing drums it was super boring (laughs) and once like i you know i had to go through like a really dark period where i was like i moved out and i was living on my own and there was no downtime because I only had music books. I only watched musical documentaries and I only played drums and like was obviously into production by this point. And in the last few years, I started just making sure that there were like days off. Right. And I started like I had no friends. Um, so like I had to like throw myself into situations where uh, I well no friends outside of the music scene so it was like i had to throw myself into situations where i would go to the pub when the football was on like i'm not into sports but i knew there would be like a large and just be around people and try to converse outside of music um and just try things and like uh i you know like i only worked at the college 
and you know just tr like do little part-time jobs for people and like what like i worked in a kitchen and stuff and like just try to find out what i don't like and what i do like and try to have some monotony in my life that isn't music and try to find some pastimes so my advice to my younger self is to create diversity in yeah. your life and have a breadth of things that you enjoy and know you dislike doing and become comfortable with like boredom i used to when i first moved into my place and all i had was music stuff i used to even do the washing up and have uh my phone on the windowsill in front of the the sink to watch like tutorials on how oh. to mix and master and stuff like i'm talking like 24 hours of the day if i wasn't sleeping um and so like you know even just being comfortable with b being bored yeah like just ha I, i'm doing the washing up for five minutes and this is what i'm doing and i'm doing nothing but washing up and this is fine i'm folding laundry like this is fine and then having time to like after this podcast i'm going to go meet a friend that i haven't seen in a couple years um before i fully go back down into lockdown again it seems but like you know i'm gonna go Damn. meet a friend socially distanced and and just not speak about music and just do things yeah. that are separate from that and once i started doing that i found that i had way more creative energy for mm, music yeah. because i'd filled my time with things outside of it and i brought back the love for music when i drilled down into like six hours drumming a day nothing but music production uh it made me hate a career that i'd decided that i was going to go into yeah and really anxious to start again like i was really in my late 20 mid to late 20s like i became really anxious of what if this doesn't work out the only thing i've ever done is play drums and make yeah. music so like just to experience other stuff and be like, oh man, you know what? Like I found out recently, I don't know anything about plants, but I have this weird <laughs> obsession with gardening and I don't, I live in a flat. I don't have a garden, but I started like buying like the easiest plants to keep. And then I joined a subreddit that was like, what's wrong with my plant or something. And then like <laughs> looking at other shit. And then I, I was realizing that like, if this music thing doesn't come out or if I need money, I'm a hundred percent going to apply for a job at like a garden center just so I can learn about plants. And then I was Hell like, well, yeah. what, what could I do after a garden? You can't work at what well, you can, but like, I wouldn't like to work at a garden center for the rest of my life. Like, what would I, and fantasize about what if music didn't exist? What would I do? Well, maybe I'd work at a garden center and maybe this is such a fucking weird tangent to end the show on. People are like, what were we talking about music? But you know, maybe I would do something in landscape gardening. Is there education? I'm passionate about education. Could I learn anything about plants? How could could I innovate because that's a big thing of my life you know how could I innovate that industry is there space to innovate in that industry just get excited about other stuff and learn what you don't like as well that's the biggest advice uh, to my younger self is find out um, a little bit about yourself and create some diversity yeah. in your life I'm glad that you've started to diversify because it seems like you're essentially a drumming robot to an extent yeah. <laughs> and, and I think like like you I heard um I, heard, I was watching um, like just like trash TV yesterday. What was I watching? I was watching Hot Ones and uh, yeah. um, Jesus, who was on Hot Ones last night? Um, I can't, I can't think for the life of me, but the guy that's like, all right, all right, all right. And he was in Dallas Buyers Club. Anyway, that guy. Um, 
it's not happening but he was he was on the show <laughs> and he was like uh every night since you've uh been born and until you die doesn't matter who's in bed with you you're only sleep uh, you're the only one sleeping on your pillow he was like mm. you were born alone and you'll die alone so like get really comfortable with that guy and be your biggest best friend and your biggest cheerleader and i think for such a long period of time like if I was really, really honest with myself, I could absolutely see why I had no friends and I could absolutely see why I didn't really even like myself. I was yeah. like, you're so boring. I wasn't like a nasty person. I don't, I don't think I was nasty to anybody. I don't think that I was um, rude or anything like that. I had like good manners and I would like speak to people that was, were speaking to me. But the only things that I could really give any opinion about were like drums and music Yeah, and the subjects of drums and music i was like gatekeeping as well so like if you asked my opinion on like the drumming ability of blah 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 or like the production on whatever album i'd be like this is how i feel about it and then when they disagreed because they weren't in music i'd be like you don't know about music because i do you know like and all that that's just like well what a douchebag like it's universal everybody yeah. has an opinion about everything everybody has an opinion about music and i definitely you know, the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know anything at all. Yeah. And the more that my career goes on, I'm like, I actually don't even know that much about music. So, you know, yeah, just like get really comfortable with who you are as a person and try and like support yourself and your mental stability. And I think then after that, everything becomes easier. If I don't make a track today, it's cool. If yeah. I don't get this project out or if I don't work with this person, it's fine. What else do I like doing? Have I checked in with my family? Have I checked in with my friends? Is everybody cool? Like we're just, you and I, like we're just making music. And if you can make music for a living like I'm currently doing, uh, then like it's a blessing every day. I wasn't born in some of the countries that are like have famine or missile crisis i'm not fleeing my country like i have to make a two and a half minute tune some days and sometimes i get paid for that and that's sick and if there's another day where i have to you know get a regular job or whatever that's also fine you can you can just enjoy the process yeah and another thing that you touched on that i just want to drill in real quick before we finish is mm. uh you said that once you stopped drumming pretty much 24 hours a day and started consuming other media, you gained like massive bursts of inspiration because it wasn't just the same repetitive thing over and over. Mm. Um, yeah, my friend Lawrence Burnt has, I'm not sure if he came up with it or if it's quoted from someone else, but basically he says, to create great media, you must consume great media. So yeah. for any of those out there that are feeling bad about like watching Netflix or something, uh, instead of working all the time, like just know that like everything around you is a source of inspiration. And when you do get back to that work, it will make its way into your music. And so in a way, consuming great media is can be a form of working essentially, I guess. <laughs> and that is why you should listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and Will Hatton's YouTube channel and Hush yes. Child. <laughs> Uh, so mediocre, that, you know, mediocre art form at best, I think, <laughs> for that. I don't know if it's great media. <laughs> anyway, on that note of shout outs, is there anything else you'd like to shout out before we finish up here? 
I don't think so. Just uh, to to round things off, yeah, you can find me uh, at Instagram.com slash the Will Hatton. You can find me on uh, Twitch.com slash the Will Hatton. I'm not streaming all the time, but normally sort of once a week, once every two weeks, we hold beat battles there. And of course, my main uh, platform of kind of music education and sharing what I'm up to is YouTube.com slash Will Hatton, where we uh, do the inspired by um series where we break down the musical trends past and present so you guys can make better music and then of course everything else like all of the gear that i use and anything else that i'm putting out in my personal life in terms of music goes through willhattonmusic.com hell yeah sir this was episode 21 of the wavetable featuring my guest will hatton thank you so much for joining me I'm your host, Astro Rain, and I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Peace. Thank you so much, man. See you <laughs> later, guys.